It was kind of sad that I didn't have the check for the children, right? They were a little disappointed. I think the congregation might have been more disappointed. I don't know whether you want to see me spend my money or you just thought I surely had something there, right? And we think that kind of disappointment is, is significant in some ways it is. Some were probably shocked when they came in and found the foyer a little decorated a little different this morning. Uh, different colors, uh, different shaped chairs, a little more modern look uh, rather than a little more homey look. Something that the evangelism ca- uh, committee is working on and uh, they're gauging how many people comment pros and cons this morning about the furniture. I could have told them it didn't matter what they did, the vote would be split. But anyway, their heart's in the right place. Can you imagine this Sunday that the church often refers to as low Sunday? <laughs> low Sunday, oh my gosh. The Sunday after Easter, the Sunday after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, is one of the poorest attended worship services across the land in any church. Part of it is because it's compared to Easter Sunday, and that's one of the biggest ex- experiences of the church in worship. So it came known in the church as kind of low Sunday. It's often a vacation Sunday for preachers. <laughs> it's often a time when they don't have high expectations. They might in some way be a little bit like those disciples who were gathered in that upper room because they were afraid. They were afraid. Even though they had heard from the lips of Mary that she had seen the Lord. I know some of you, at least half of you are a little more, are going to be really surprised by this. The men didn't believe the woman. What a shock. You know how emotional those women can be, right? Imagine their shock when Jesus appeared in the room. The second time he showed up, again to the disciples this time, the first time to them, but the second time because Mary had also been a disciple who had seen and proclaimed the truth, they just hadn't believed her. Hang on to that. Until he showed up and they saw him. Now everybody's on board, right? Oh, there's old doubting Thomas, right? We got to get Thomas back in. So Thomas is with them eight days later. That's inclusive of days in the Hebrew way of counting days. And guess what? On the first day of the week, Jesus shows up again. And this time, he doesn't say in the text, but can't you picture it? Jesus appears, and they're all like, whoa, he's back again. Can you just see Jesus? I just see him walking across that room and standing in front of Thomas and saying, touch me. Your hand in here. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Wow. Thomas just thought he had to touch him, didn't he? More than likely, he didn't touch him at all. He just fell to his knees and worshiped him. You see, all the doubts that we humans can accumulate about believing this man Jesus as the Son of God go fleeting away whenever we get into his presence. When his eyes lock with our eyes. Whenever we know that what he said then is therefore real. You know, it's not so bad when you think about it. It's 
kind of expected when you think about it. They needed to know that the man, Jesus, had been resurrected. They needed to know he was flesh and blood, even though different. Now he could appear in rooms. Obviously, that's different, right? Like the last time I tried to pull that off, I got a knot on my head, right? You just can't be somewhere you're not if you're bound by earth. Now, take this event and let's put it in its context. What's happening here is that somebody's getting a nickname, right? Thomas. Oh, Doubting Thomas, right? How many times have you heard that? Or you're just a Doubting Thomas. I'm not sure what that means. What were the other ten? Doubting John Matthew, all of those guys. I mean, they were Doubties too. They didn't believe Mary. They, they had some little amount of faith, but most of it had been lost. They were so disappointed that their expectations had not been met. They were just so overcome with that disappointment. And then when, Jesus, when Mary came in and said she had seen Jesus, it's like, oh, you know, it's over. Get over it. He's dead. We don't believe it. Then when he appears to them, ah, you know, if a text had been written by a woman, there would have been another sentence in that text, wouldn't there? I told you so, knuckleheads. I told you that I saw him. You didn't believe me. That's right. That's what it would have been. Irregardless of gender, it would have been there. If I'd have written the book, I'd have written that. Because dealing with doubt is one of the things that besets our nation and our world constantly. And the smarter we get, the bigger doubters we become. Can you imagine being alive in a day and age when if you got sick, you only had prayer and rest to get well by? We'd, we'd, we'd go first to doctors now, right? We get a pill. If a pill doesn't work, we, we go to the hospital and get surgery, right? And if the surgery doesn't work... We go to another doctor, right? And if that doesn't work, we pray. Not so sure that's the right order. But that's what happens when we get smarter, right? God blesses us with ways to take care of ourselves, and then we forget that God is still healing us in whatever thing we're facing, whatever kind of struggle physically. So let's get Thomas off the doubting chair, okay? If you're going to make an example of doubters, just say those disciples doubted. Don't make Thomas to be worse than the rest of them. Although he was a little pessimistic, we know from a couple of comments in the Gospel of John. But still, he had a right and a need to see this thing that had never happened before in all creation. He needed to see it. And yet it's into that that Jesus comes and announces, peace be with you. Wow. Now, what do we do with all this? Well, first of all, let's pick up a few more verses. There in verse 21, Jesus says something just as shocking as peace be with you, almost. As the Father sent me, so I send you. As the Father sent those first 11 that were left and Mary and the rest of the followers, so they have sent others who have sent others who have finally said to you, we send you. Do you get that? I want you to get that. Because you see, that's the only way this thing works. 
This thing called faith is not something we write down in a book, somebody reads it, and then it's there. No, it has to be passed on. And it has to be passed on by those who have it. If those who have it don't pass it on to those who are still unbelieving, their tiny kernel of faith becomes almost non-existent. If the people in the church who are mature, studied in the scriptures, practiced in the presence of being with Jesus, don't tell other younger Christians what that's like, they'll never know. Because you see, they have to be guided into a deeper walk with Jesus. Accepted as believers yet struggling so that they can be nurtured by those who used to be there but now are somewhere else because they are moving along the way. Deeper in the faith if you have to have a description. Not deeper in the sense of privilege, deeper in the sense of knowledge and experience. Deeper in the sense of the difference between having intellectual knowledge of Jesus and having a trust in what Jesus said and what Jesus did. Having a confidence that Jesus, as surely as he sent those 11 and the other followers, he sends us now. The trouble is, we're not very good with the being sent now part. It's a particular crushing blow to me that the Southern Baptist Church, for the first time, is, is getting static numbers in their church. You say, well, why is that so, so different? The Methodist Church has been declining for 20 years. Yeah, but the Baptists hadn't. I was holding out that somebody could hold out. I was holding out that some group of Christians could stay so focused on the conversion of unbelievers that the church would continue to grow. It didn't work in Europe, and it hasn't been working in the United States as a whole, but I hoped and held out that in the South, where the Baptists were like Johnson grass, (laughs) they would just overtake the field. And even Methodists and Presbyterians would quit being the way we were, and we would be just as vocal as they were about that thing, about believing in Jesus Christ and not being unbelieving. It should be so easy. Brandon, stand up. Night. (laughs) Of all people, You who have been here the last five or six years. If you're not believing that Jesus is the Son of God and can do things that we can't understand or or explain, take another look. Take another look. Take another look. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you for believing. And Brandon's not the only one. The, the, just in a short time I've been in here, I remember a young man that's going to have surgery. He went to the hospital and wasn't there. Uh, imagine that. The doctors couldn't believe it. Imagine a young man from China accepting Christ and being baptized on Easter Day. Imagine that. We have enough evidence to be convinced that this man Jesus can be believed in, that that man Jesus has a power that is unknown to us, that that man Jesus is still continuing to work in the lives of the people who start out believing and want to continue believing. Thomas touched me, and Thomas could have said, I'm good. I don't need to touch you. 
I'm down on my face. You're it. You're real. I was a fool. Powerful testimony, right? Where were they about 10, 12 days later? Headed back to go fishing. (laughs) It didn't last very long for them even when they finally got it. The Gospel of John is a perfect picture of faith as it matures and matures until it becomes something really special. And yet, without the power of the Holy Spirit that would come on Pentecost, it still wasn't powerful enough. Now, I'm going to help you with a couple of verses there. How somebody else helps me. I don't know that it's right or not, but he says, I believe this. And you know what? I think, I think he's right. I believe this too. That the receiving the Spirit in this passage of Scripture was a sign meant for those disciples a momentary experience of the Spirit and not Pentecost. A a commentary I was reading explained this better than I've ever read it before. He talks about this being one of the signs that John spoke of because the whole book of John is about signs. And he said this is not the Holy Spirit with these disciples from then on. And the way we know that is because they didn't seem to have that kind of power in their lives. They had returned to their old ways. They had returned to fishing. And when the Holy Spirit fills you and you know it, you don't return to your old ways. Do I need to say that again? When the Holy Spirit fills you, you don't return to your old ways. Now, if you've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and you've received the Holy Spirit, would you please stand now? If you've received the power of the Spirit, would you please stand? Do you know the Spirit is well, and you know you've received the Spirit, and you know He lives within you, stand up. Well, that's almost everybody. Everybody can stand standing. You've been commissioned, and now you've admitted right here in front of God and everybody. You have. You can't go back to your old ways. You can't have the same purpose as other people do in the world who are not in church and not worshiping Jesus today. You can't be like everybody else. If you want to be like everybody else, you're denying the gift of the presence of God who lives in you. Your life has to be different. You can see it now. That power, that coming of the Spirit was not done here. And the way we know it is the way the disciples acted But it still was a prophetic sign that he was passing on the Spirit to them, reminding them that he told them that it was coming, and he later reminded them to go and wait for the gift which would come at Pentecost. Now, having that little short, there's about 10 good points in that text, by the way. I'm not preaching on all those today. I just kind of like to rehearse it. Why? Because I get irritated every Sunday that we don't have more people back in church the Sunday after Easter than we had in Easter. Because when you're reminded of that powerful word, they ought to be standing in line to get into church today, right? I mean, this ought to be the glory of what we just celebrated. It should be so powerful to us that we shouldn't even be thinking about scheduling anything on the Sunday after, after Easter, right? They're not the only slow ones, are they? It is so tempting to go back to normal life. It's like Sunday morning. It's so good to go to church and be scriptural, and then we go home and we kind of return to our normal life, right? What a bummer. We're not ever supposed to go back there. We don't want to be normal. Normal is for people who are going to hell. Is that straight enough for you? I mean, 
If you want to be normal and like the world and like the multitudes, follow that broad that broad road. It will get you nowhere. It's following that narrow road that leads to somewhere that you really want to be. Oh, my goodness. That somewhere that we really want to be is important. So what does this mean to us Christians? Well, I want to read you something somebody else wrote. And this is the kind of person that writes well and he also preaches well. Craddock is his name. and He's a great theologian and preacher in the church. Listen to this quote from him that another author quoted. Faith based on signs and faith that needs none. There is faith that is weak and faith that is strong. Faith that is shallow and faith that is deep. There is faith that is growing and there is faith that is retreating. Faith in this gospel is not a decision once and for all, but a decision anew in every decision. I don't know that I've ever read a, a line any better than that last. He's talking about the nature of faith and how it matures in the Gospel of John. And it comes to full expression after the resurrection when people are finally getting it. And the way he says that is this. Faith in this Gospel is not a decision once and for all, but a decision anew in every decision. He's a good Methodist. Now, he's not a very good Calvinist. I know that. But he's a great Methodist. He's a great Methodist because he's saying what we teach and preach about all the time. Every bit of your faith is on display every time you're making a decision. Every decision. Who you vote for, how you spend your money, who you befriend, who you visit, what you do with your time. Tick, tock, tick, tock. How many days do you have left? Craig, how many days do you have left? About 30 days. 30 years, okay. I think the other day you told me you had about 60 because your family lives a long time. Not 60 more? Okay. Faith is a, Craig is a very young man at heart. He's counting on, he's got a lot of days to spend. How, how many have you got, Sam? You got a lot of days left? You hope so. Depends on how you, how you define a, a hope, right? Right? Yeah. Chris, you got a lot of days left? You got today. <laughs> At least this part of it, right? Are you listening, teens? You're sitting there thinking, yeah, man, I've got 80 more years to live. They'll be living to be 90 or 100 by the time I get there. Let me tell you something. This is a secret. It's a secret every preacher knows. Not everybody lives to be 80 or 90 years old. I remember one day talking with my in-laws about their plans for the future and what they were going to do. And I was encouraging them to take some steps because they were up in their mid-70s. And they, she said, at that point it was she, well, you know, one of these days when I get older, I'm going to have to make that decision. Every day is precious, and yet we don't know how many more days we've got. I don't care how old you are. Teenagers are buried every day somewhere. Children. Lose their lives every day somewhere. It's important for us to remember that prices, death is constantly surrounding us. And we get to live in the presence of it. But in this point, I want you to remember, this is one of two points I want you to remember. Faith is not simply static. 
it's dynamic or else it's retreating. Is yours retreating? Right now in your life. Are you on the plane upward? Are you trying to stay neutral? You know how hard it is to stand in the ocean and not swim out if you just try to keep yourself afloat? <laughs> hard, isn't it? You can tread water for a while, but after a while, I just can't tread water anymore. It's the same with your faith. And I don't care if you're 85 or 95 or 25 or 15. Faith starts very young. I'm talking with a, a child who's a very young child who's about ready to be baptized because she knows she loves Jesus. She's moving forward. Moving forward a lot more than a lot of children her age. But that's a great thing to celebrate. She's not going to be a mature disciple when she gets baptized. And neither were you, by the way, right? Some of you aren't mature yet, and you're older than I am. And yes, you'd be correct. We'd say, well, you're not all that mature yourself. You'd be right. There are areas in my life, and no, I'm not telling you, where maturity is still a struggle for me. Second thing I want you to remember, we have been commissioned as a church to be sent. You are the plan to proclaim the gospel, to tell others that we have faith and therefore trust in who Jesus was and who Jesus is, in what Jesus said and in what Jesus did. And we trust in that pattern and are choosing to live our lives that way. That kind of points... Understanding that you're constantly growing, understanding that you've been called and sent by God through Jesus to take that message to the world is why I do not believe in dying churches. I do not believe in them. Every one of them, every one of them, unless they live in that unusual place where there's nobody else moving to it, should be living and growing. And if they're not, they should pick up their tents and move somewhere else where there are more people. Yeah, really. I, I, I mean that. Why? Because what purpose can you have in a, in a place where there's 30 people or 20 people or 10 people? How much work can 10 people do if they go out into the world and start sharing the gospel? Oh, yeah, we already kind of know that, don't we? Okay, so it was 11. I get it. Really? If we're alive, we have a purpose. And the only reason the church dies is because of us our faith retreats because truth that it, faith that is moving forward is always calling people to Jesus. That kind of faith just doesn't die. And so my self-understanding is that I need to be constantly growing too. My self-understanding is that people who are attending and members of the church, however old they are, need to be constantly growing not only in what they understand, but in how they use the knowledge they have to serve the purposes of Christ in the world in which they live. My self-understanding is that the body of Christ is a community of faith that is constantly being called forward, just like individuals. It's constantly being called to serve the purposes of God. That's why we exist. We do not exist for ourselves. Why would a church want a lobby that looks younger? Duh. 
Who do we read about all the time that's growing away from the church? The younger adults. They don't want to come to church necessarily and sit down in grandma's den. Some of them went to grandma's church and they don't want to go back there either. Because it was too negative. It was not hopeful enough. It was not filled with enough energy. It was more about learning stuff and saying something than doing something. What color is the furniture? Well, it might not be the color you like. In fact, I was discussing that with somebody this morning. And I told her the truth. I said, well, I don't know. I don't particularly care for those colors either. But the evangelism committee thought we need to make a statement about being younger. Don't get panicky. We haven't bought the furniture yet. You get to vote. Send them into my email. <laughs> I know that doesn't fill you with confidence, but I'm actually caught up on my email now, so I've seen, you, you could send them there. I hope you don't, but uh, write a letter, and I'll give them to Bonnie to read, and she can tally the vote. But what I want you to get is that the church moves on. It grows. It changes. If it doesn't, it gets left behind, and it dies, and it's sad. It's sad. Oh, Lordy. I had a lot of time to preach. I'm going to close with this verse, one of my favorite verses. I read it at almost every funeral that I lead now. You said, is there anything else connected to that? No, there's not, except this. Jesus said to Thomas, what? Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Their faith will be even greater than those of you who have seen, is what he meant. In verse 8, chapter 1, Peter writes, And though you have not seen him, and I have not, you love him, and I do. And though you do not see him now, but I feel his presence, I add, but you believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as an outcome of your faith your continuance of believing the salvation of your souls. Peter got it, and he shared it, and he passed it on, and so must we. Father, we bow our heads now before you, knowing you're calling us all to the table to remember your death and resurrection, knowing that as we come to your table, Lord, we come as sinners, and knowing that in the moments of silence we share right now that you're hearing our prayers of confession That you're extending your grace so that our guilt might be washed away. That you're showing up with us, extending your comfort so that we might feel your presence. Assuring us that you're inviting all of us to this table. Whoever would come, you're calling them now. Father. Let them come and seek engagement with you if they need to. If their lives have come about to be greatly expressed in what they do in your world rather than in the world that you have called them to serve, let their minds be changed and let their priorities be refocused. If they're coming, O oh Lord, as growing disciples who are ready to serve, let them hear your call and seek their place where they can be your servant. For this is our prayer for us all. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.